Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello, podcast listeners. I hope you're having a wonderful day as much as I am currently having. I mean, there's just so much going on in the news, like, I, like I've always said in the past, and today is no different, especially with the markets going on today. That being said, today we're going to be talking a little bit about Ford. Ford reports its worst quarterly sales in China since the onset of the COVID pandemic. Okay, There's also news, and this news recently came out too, about the Spirit Frontier merger or the Spirit JetBlue merger and how it's potentially being canceled again just to get things in order, it sounds like. Elon Musk is on the news board again, but this time for Twitter, and he's notifying Twitter that he is terminating the deal, which this saga is probably going to be talked about in the upcoming week in the making, potentially, and we'll cover it as much as we can on this podcast. In the politics side of things, we're going to be covering two things today because it has to do with the market. The U.S. is sending more aid to Ukraine, and India is most likely not going to be stopping to buy any Russia gas anytime soon. Like I always say at the beginning of each podcast, guys, I'm not a professional advisor in any way, shape, or form. Everything I talk about in this podcast is for information purposes only. You need to go talk to your own financial advisor before making any financial decisions of any kind. Should I mention any stocks in this podcast that I hold hold positions in, I will do my best to remember to mention that I hold these positions currently. But I don't think in this podcast you will be hearing many companies that I will be talking about that I do hold positions in. Please go talk to your own professional advisor before making any, any financial decisions. Like I said, I cannot give you financial advice. This is for information purposes only. I cannot legally give you financial advice in any way, shape, or form. With that, let's begin today's podcast. Ford reports worst quarterly sales in China since the onset of the COVID pandemic. And from Detroit, from CNBC, Ford Motors joined in the crosstown rival General Motors and reporting its worst quarterly sales in China since the onset of the coronavirus pandemic amid the resurgence of COVID cases in the country and the ongoing global supply chain problems. Ford said it sold 120,000 vehicles during the second quarter, a roughly 22% decline from a year earlier, and it was its worst sales in Greater China since the fewer than 89,000 units it sold during the first quarter of 2020, when governments imposed COVID restrictions brought the country's production to a standstill. Standstill. In a release late Thursday, Ford said its sales in June improved exponentially with easing of restrictions as overall sales exceeded 50,000 units, up 3% year over year and 38 month over month. Quote, the pandemic resurgence in the past few months challenged us to overcome supply chain and logistic obstacles to positioning Ford for growth in the second half of the year, Ang Chen, president of CEO of Ford China, said in a statement. But there's still be challenges ahead. Mainland China's daily COVID case count, included those without symptoms, has surged from a handful of cases to around 200 to 300 new cases in the last several days. That number of cities restricting local movement due to COVID more than doubled in a week to 11 as of Monday, up from a five-week earlier, according to Ting Lu from China Economics Economicus at No No Nomura. GM on Wednesday reported 35.5% decline in the second quarter sales in China to 484,200 vehicles. It's lower since 461,700 vehicles during the first quarter of 2020. Yeah, see, this is what I don't get. I believe we recently reported in a past podcast that Tesla did pretty well in China. I think it has to do with the fact that 
probably no one wants a Ford car, okay? No offense, but Elon did pretty well in China. And I believe Neo was doing okay as well, if I'm not mistaken. I can't remember. I do, I think I do remember talking about Elon in the past for China. And they said that they were pretty good. And, but Or maybe it was that the factory was back on. But my, my memory doesn't serve me 100% fully. But I think they're just making excuses right now. I mean, granted, China has been locked down for a bit. And Shanghai did reopen recently. And same with Beijing. But I think at the end of the day, I don't think Chinese people are buying as many uh, Fords as they are. Maybe not as many GM vehicles as well either. Maybe they just had a crummy quarter in general. Who knows? But it's just something to keep an eye out because these companies are going to be reporting numbers going forward this year. And I wonder how many more excuses they're going to use. I mean, luckily, they're not using the excuse of, oh, it's because of the war in Ukraine and, and Russia. But it's still going to be interesting to see what happens here. But I think the car industry is going to be suffering for a bit longer due to the fact that operations have to be brought back on. And it takes time to be able to meet the... There's really no supply and demand issue currently right now, it seems like. I mean, there are car shortages for parts across the United States in particular, but this has to do with China currently. And so I wonder if China's facing the same issues as that the United States is currently facing with there's not as many cars coming in and the, the reused car side of things is going well. Time will tell. Hopefully CNBC reports it going forward, but it's something to keep an eye out if you are interested in investing in the car industry currently. Onto the airline industries with mergers and with mergers that might not be happening now. Another vote delay leaves Spirit's merger with Frontier in question while JetBlue circles. Okay. I've been talking about this on and off a bit on this podcast, and I'm starting to believe that JetBlue is going to win this in the end because I firmly believe Spirit keeps delaying this quote-unquote vote because they're realizing that they're not going to be able to merge with Frontier. And I'll explain why as I read this article. The fate of Spirit Airlines merger with fellow budget carrier Frontier Airlines is growing muckier. Spirit this week delayed its shareholders meeting for the third time, opening the door to more talks from both Frontier and rival suitor JetBlue Airways. The, the latter two delays each came just hours before Spirit shareholders were due to vote on the Frontier tie-up, a now $2.6 billion cash and stock combination after Frontier recently sweetened the offer in an effort to ward off JetBlue's advances. JetBlue is offering about $3.7 billion in an all-cash takeover. Ahead of the most recent scheduled vote, which was slated for Friday morning, it didn't appear Spirit had enough votes to get the Frontier deal approved, according to people familiar with the matter. Aha, there it is. Right there. It seems like Spirit truly wants to merge with Frontier. And, and like I've said in past podcasts, I believe there is people on the Spirit board who really want this to happen. And there's probably on the people on the Frontier. And they're going to do whatever they can to make this merger happen. Because they used the excuse in the past saying like, oh, they won't approve of us emerging with JetBlue from the federal government level. But at the same token, it's the same thing with Frontier and Spirit. In reality, there's probably special interest people being involved currently right now that want the spirit and frontier. There's someone who's going to benefit way more than the average shareholder, at least in my opinion, okay? says here, spirit would be on the hook to pay frontier a breakup fee of more than $94 million if the JetBlue offers superior and scraps the original deal. Quote, we're working hard to bring this process to a conclusion while remaining focused on our well-being of our spirit family, spirit CEO Ted Christie said in a note to employees last Thursday after the vote was postponed yet again. Spirit declined to comment further on Friday. JetBlue, for its part, cheered the delay. CEO Robin Hayes said in a statement late Thursday, 
Quote, we encourage by our decision with spirit and are hopefully that now recognize the spirit shareholders have indicated their clear, overwhelming preference for an agreement with JetBlue. Neither JetBlue nor Frontier offered further comment on Friday. At its stake, chances of becoming the country's fifth largest airline behind giants America, Delta, United, and Southwest, a Spirit Frontier merger could create a budget airline behemoth. While Spirit Blue, well, JetBlue says its buyout would offer more turbocharged growth as at the airline, whose services include more amenities and mint business class on some aircraft. The Spirit board is, is hell-bent on the frontier, frontier deal. Yep, like I said, like I just mentioned, they really want this deal to happen. They've never wavered, said Brett Snyder, a former airline manager who now runs the Crankly Flyer travel site. Their challenge is now how to get the votes. If the Frontier deal goes to a vote, Spirit shareholders will begin deciding on a cash and stock deal. Banking stocks could mean a future benefit for shareholders if the travel rebound boosts the stock price. But they risk the reverse of the event of a recession or travel slowdown. Though budget carriers such as Spirit and Frontier are less sensitive to the ups and downs of businesses travel than larger airlines. JetBlue's cash in hand offer avoids the gamble. Yeah, with uncertainty, this deal, like I said, JetBlue is probably going to win this at the end of the day. And it's pathetic that the board as Spirit and Frontier keep delaying this vote because they know they don't have the votes to merge properly. And so they're going to delay this as long as they can. Okay. It's insane. I, I'm, if I were a shareholder right now of spirit and I had my vote, I would literally kick every like, okay. I don't know if they had the recent yearly meeting with their shareholders. Okay. But if I were a spirit shareholder right now, I would vote every single person off that board. I would. I would say, get off the board. This is what I want. I want to merge with JetBlue. They have an all-cash offer. I want the cash, but they're not listening because there's probably special interest involved, probably. This is why they keep delaying it, okay? And no one else can convince me otherwise on that currently. Maybe with more information, they could, but I just don't see it happening. It says here, with the Frontier deal, you're, you're putting your faith in what happens after the merger to make your money. With JetBlue, it's here's the money and take the money and go, says Snyder. JetBlue has reportedly sweetened its offer for Spirit, including increasing a reverse breakup fee should regulators block the deal. The airline's persistence has put pressure on Frontier, which recently upped its own offer to match JetBlue's reverse breakup fee. Spirit's board has rejected each of JetBlue's proposals, arguing takeover wouldn't pass muster with the Justice Department, which is suing to block JetBlue's own regional alliance with American Airlines in the Northeast U.S. The Biden administration's Justice Department has vowed to take a hard line against deals that threaten competition, even assuming uh, diversitors diversitors. JetBlue, for example, promised a device spirit asset in Northeast to make its proposed spirit takeover more platable. Yeah, this, this deal is going to be done soon, probably. And JetBlue is probably going to end up winning in the end. Well, hopefully JetBlue wins. I mean, it's an all cash deal compared to Frontier at the end of the day. But you never know. It's just one of those things where it just sickens me that there's people at the top of these companies that can determine the fate of shareholders at the end of the day. And so, yeah, it, it's pretty disgusting when you think about it. So, On to the next article now. Elon Musk notifies Twitter he is terminating the deal. Now, this is kind of big news going forward, okay? It says here, billionaire Elon Musk wants to end his $44 billion deal to buy Twitter, according to a letter sent by a lawyer on the behalf of the company's chief legal officer Friday. 
But Twitter's board chair, Brett Taylor, said the company is still committed to closing the deal at the agreed upon price and plans to pursue legal action if they enforce the agreement. Quote, we are, we are confident that we will prevail in the Delaware Court of Chancery, Taylor wrote. Twitter shares were down more than 6% after hours on Friday. In the letter disclosed in the Securities and Exchange Commission's filing, Shaken Arab's attorney, Mike Ringler, said that Twitter has not complied, complied with contractual obligations. Ringler claimed that Twitter did not provide Musk with relative business information he requested. As Ringler said in the contract would require, Musk has previously said he wanted to assess Twitter's claims about the 5% of its monetables daily active users, or UDAUs, or spam accounts. Quote, Twitter has failed or refused to provide this information, Ringler claimed. Some Twitters have ignored Mr. Musk's requests. Sometimes it has rejected for reasons that appear to be unjustable, and sometimes it has claimed to compile while giving Mr. Musk incomplete or unusable information. This one's going to be interesting to see going forward, okay? In, in reality, okay? I, I heard a report on the way home when I was driving home from coaching volleyball earlier today that one of the reasons why Elon is potentially looking at not having this deal happen anymore is because apparently Twitter's not as is not worth as much anymore. When Elon originally made the deal for Twitter, that's when the market was kind of going crazy. And now the market's kind of in a downturn. And so Twitter's value might not be as much and Elon might not want to pay for that much in the end. At least that's the report that was being told on the AM radio stations at the time. It's also interesting to point out too that if Elon doesn't go through with this deal, does it also mean that Twitter could potentially collapse as a company? Like in reality, like it seemed like, I, I, I think I had mentioned this in the past when I was talking about Twitter and Elon, um, but I said in the end, Elon was going to win this, whether he bought the company or not, because Twitter wasn't making money, if I'm not mistaken. I, I could be wrong. I mean, it's been so long and this drama has been going on for so long. But it just seems like that in the end, Elon's still going to win. I think personally, Elon wants to have to not put as much money into it. And of course, there's reports coming out too that Twitter's going to sue Elon because they have to, he has to meet the obligations that he signed to and all this stuff. But who knows how this is going to go in the end. It's just more things to look into. It says here, R Ringler also charged in the letter that Twitter breached the merger agreement because it, it allegedly contained material inaccurate representations. This accusation is based on Musk's own preliminary review on spam accounts on Twitter's platform. Twitter said it's not possible to calculate spam accounts from a solely public information, and a term of experts conducted a review to reach the 5% figure. Quote, while the analysis remains ongoing, all indications suggest that several of the Twitter public disclosures regarding its UDAUs are either false or materially misleading, Ringler alleged. It's going to be interesting to see what happens in the end when this is all said and done. I think Elon's going to get less... He has to put less money into Twitter. I think that potentially, I mean, depending on the judge, obviously, too. But I think the judge is going to look at this and just be like, you provided false information to a client that was wanting to buy. So Elon's probably going to end up winning in the end. I mean, Elon's still probably going to buy Twitter in the end. That's probably almost a guaranteed. I mean, I think there was a breakup fee if he didn't buy Twitter. So... I don't know. We're going to keep paying attention to this. Maybe we'll talk a little bit more about this in the next podcast segment when there's more information given out, but still something to look into more. Okay. Now we're going to get into a little bit about politics in the market currently, which as you all know, I absolutely love talking about 
not really. That's sarcasm. If you don't understand sarcasm, but we have to talk about it because politics and the market are sometimes intertwined. Well, America, we are providing more aid to Ukraine now. It says here from the politics side from CNBC, U.S. to send its 15th military package to Ukraine, bringing a total aid in Russia war to $7 billion. From Washington, the Biden administration has sent its 15th security assistance package to Ukraine, bringing in the tally of U.S. military and humanitarian aid to more than $7 billion since the Russia invaded Ukraine in late February. A senior U.S. defense official spoke on the conditions of the anonymity in order to share details of the additional security assistance, said that 400 million weapons package was coordinated with Ukraine officials and tailored to wider Russia assault in eastern Ukraine. Heavy artillery platforms like the Houtzers and high mobility artillery rocket systems or HIMARS sit high on Ukraine's military wish list. The official said last security package, which include four additional HIMARS, which brings the total number of HIMARS transferred to Ukraine from the U.S. arsenal to 12. The HIMARS manufactured by defense giant Lockheed Martin. There it is. I had wondered for the longest time where these contracts were coming from. Lockheed Martin's making bank off this war from Ukraine and Russia, it seems like. Are designed to shoot a variety of missiles from a mobile five-ton truck. The official said that U.S. troops will keep training Ukrainian forces on how to use the platform at a location outside the country. Man, I, I, I've been saying for the longest time, it was either a Boeing or a Lockheed, and sure enough, Lockheed Martin, they just mentioned it in this article. Quote, we will continue to train them because we see them as a substantive battle, the official said, adding that HIMARS training takes approximately a week to complete. The official declined to elaborate when pressed by reporters on how many Ukraine troops have so far completed training on the HIMARS platform. The person added that the latest security assistance will be a mixture of systems already deployed to fight a, as well as new capabilities. The official said that the latest trotch of weapons will include additional ammunitions for HIMARS, 155mm holsters and rounds of ammunition for the holsters. I really, really hope in the end that this pays off in all seriousness because we are in the united states are sending a lot of money to ukraine and a lot of weapons to be fighting the russians okay now granted the ukraine has done really really well with fighting the russians but at the end of the day we're still having one issue there are two countries that are still buying oil from russia and i can't give one of these countries a hard time too much and i'll explain my more in detail in a second but it is something that needs to be talked about india isn't likely to stop buying russian oil anytime soon here's why okay we've talked a lot about oil okay and recently joe biden our lovely president in the united states decided to ship some of our strategic oil to india and china and i think the netherlands as well if i'm not mistaken that was being reported by rudders but CNBC is reporting now that India will probably not stop buying Russian oil anytime soon. It says here, despite criticism from the West, India is not backing down in its commitment to buying Russian oil. As Brent crude retreats back to its near $100 a barrel, foreign policy experts say India's drive to buy oil will only escalate as inflation concerns take center stage. Quote, India is getting negative attention for the acquisition of oil by the U.S. and Europe, but India has made a judgment and its national interests dictate. Keeping oil prices in the best position, that can is vital for domestic stability and economic interests, said Frank Wisner, former U.S. ambassador to India and international affairs advisors at Square Patent Boggs. As the world's third largest oil importer, India, India, India is vulnerable to rising oil prices. Further pressure is growing on Prime Minister uh, Modi to tame rampant inflation for his 1.3 billion citizens. 
Quote, the availability and price of Russian oil is too attractive, added Windsor. Analysis at Nomura say that the, that for every $1 increase of the price of oil, India's import bill increases by $2.1 billion. Since Russia invaded Ukraine late February, India imports of Russian oil have surged. Early data from June shows India's supply of Russian crude reached 1 million barrels per day, up from 800,000 barrels per day in May, according, according to Again Capital. Currently, Russia oil makes up 25% of the India's energy imports due to the part of sanctions placed on Iran. Still, critics blame India for financing Russia's wartime effort in Ukraine. However, Americans frustrated with the higher prices should take note of this observation. Oil prices would be 8 to $10 higher if India was not buying the volumes of Russia crude that it is. So John Kildoff, founding partner of Again Capital. Experts say recession concerns could reduce the amount of oil India buys, but they're making no major changes in estimates at this point. Last week, G7 leaders floated the idea of implementing a price cap on Russian oil. However, strategists, including RBC Capital, Hemleth Croft, say this could backfire, especially now that the price of oil is trading off its highs. Quote, I don't think the Russians, Russians are ever going to accept a price cap. Discounts become more challenging in low-priced environments at Croft. Okay. Now, they make some very interesting arguments here about India. Okay. Punishing India could backfire. It's less likely that the U.S. could punish India for its oil purchases, given the important role the country plays in the U.S. efforts to challenge China's rise in the East. Foreign policy experts said, the United States prioritizes the Indo-Pacific strategy. Without India, there is no Indo in Indo-Pacific, said uh, Miller, a senior fellow of India, Pakistan, and South Asia at the Council of Foreign Relations. The quest of quad countries are all Pacific powers, she added, referring to the quadrilate security dialogue, which includes the U.S., in Japan, India, and Australia. Rolling out sanctions or other measures to reprime India could also cause a blowback. Quote, if, um, quote, India is also very touchy power of the U.S. and has realized its long dealings with the country. Penalizing India would also be a serious setback for a buy bilateral partnerships even with the quad added miller and finally why does russia matter to india the relationship between india and russia is considerable history going back more than 50 years and then it goes into details about how they have been buying weapons oil cold war all that stuff okay and we've read in the past year too that india has been diversifying its assets of military aid from russia to now israel and the united states this in my opinion is the most important thing to remember you cannot punish India for this. You can't, okay? They don't even blame China for buying Russian oil. And we've talked about this on this podcast, okay? You're not going to win this at the end of the day. I mean, India is going to do what it needs to do to survive, okay? They are. Because right next door to them is China. And India and China, if I'm not mistaken, they have a border dispute happening, okay? So you can rip on India all you want, people, especially you, CNBC News. And you can say like, oh, they're... They're not helping with the invasion of Ukraine. Well, at the end of the day, who's going to help them if they have a border dispute with China? They're kind of on their own in, in a way, okay? I, I mean, what do you expect them to do? Just bend the knee and just say, yeah, we're just going to stop buying oil because it, it's wrong, okay? You got to remember that border dispute is going to probably be a conflict of interest potentially sometime in the future. I expect it to happen sometime in my lifetime before it ends, but you you never know. There is a dispute there, okay? Another thing I want you all to think about too with the India-China thing, okay? Let's say, for instance, India says, okay, we're not going to import Russian oil. We're going to be good and we're just going to stop importing. 
well, we've read the other day that Turkey's, ex- was it Turkey? Yeah, it was Turkey. Turkey has like a 75 to 79% inflation rate. What's going to happen to India? And then obviously China could take advantage of it too. Okay. You, you got to realize people, China and India don't get along. They don't. Okay. India is going to be nice to Russia because Russia will at least help with any disputes with China. Literally, they'll be the one at the table. Like you see those photos of like countries after wars. So they're negotiating the terms of the surrender. I expect one day Russia would be in the middle between a diplomats from India and a diplomats from China. If a conflict ever breaks out. Okay. And the other thing too, if we're ripping on India for importing Russian oil, why is the United States sending strategic oil reserves to India as well, along with China? I don't get this, guys. I really don't. I will say this too, finally, to end this podcast today. India's going to do what it needs to do to survive. A few years ago, there was an article, I think there was, about how Apple was thinking about making some of their iPhone products in India because China wasn't as accessible during the COVID lockdowns, I think it was. I mean, companies are looking towards India next as the next growing market. They are. I believe Tesla is looking at it. Apple's looking at it. Starbucks is looking at it. And I think there's a couple more, if I'm not mistaken. There's, there's no Dairy Queen. That's what it was. Dairy Queen was looking at India as well, if I'm not mistaken. India is going to be the next major hub potentially in the making. Okay. If the United States should enter a recession, and then let's just play this card a little bit. If the United States were to enter a recession, you would hopefully want India to be next to China, to be in step with them so that China doesn't take over everything, at least market-wise, okay? Because China already owns everything in a way, if you think about it. They manufacture the United States drugs. They manufacture a lot of the United States stuff. I mean, the United States is trying to bring chips back to the United States so that we're not reliant on the Asian countries like Taiwan and China for our chips and Germany and the European Union. But if the United States, at least in my opinion, if the United States does hit a recession, I really, really hope India still keeps toe-to-toe with China just so that China doesn't take over the markets in the world. And obviously that's another topic for another day. But like I said, that's just my thoughts. But like I've always keep saying in these past podcasts, I still think oil is going to keep going up in price. There's just no way. There's no way this can keep going on. So I mean, I expect energy crisis to be happening anytime soon. But if, if I'm wrong, I'll admit it. So that being said, guys, thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you have enjoyed it. I ask that if you have, that you please like and subscribe to this podcast so that we can help grow this podcast and be able to keep talking about what's happening in the market that's not being talked about on the news channels at all, whether it's CNBC News or Fox Business or just any news station in general. With that being said, guys, please also please share this podcast with friends or family if you think they would enjoy it as well, because you never know. Maybe people want to know what's happening in the news at times and how it's tied in with the markets because politics, stock market, they're always com- they're always intertwined in some way, shape, or form. And people don't always talk about it as much. So with that being said, guys, thank you for listening for today's podcast today. Thank you and goodbye.